Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellen. Before we get started with our guest, I just want to clarify something that uh, has been happening over the last little while. People reach out to us at Cannabis Health Radio, and we get an email from them. And if they're looking for help, I forward it to Corey. Corey responds, but Corey, you're not getting a response back. I'm not getting a response back, no. So when you've forwarded that to me, when I respond to the person's message, then the email is coming from my email, not from Cannabis Health Radio, and I expect is likely going into spam. So for people who are writing to Cannabis Health Radio, anything where people are requiring help is forwarded to me from Ian, and then mm-hmm. will come from Manababe at gmail.com so if you've written us and you haven't heard back please check the spam folder great now in the time we've been doing these podcasts i still can't get it straight in my own mind the difference between hodgkin's lymphoma and non-hodgkin's lymphoma so i had to look it up they're both cancers that are adversely affect and spread through the body's lymphatic system Lymph fluid carries a number of vital substances, including lymphocytes, which are infection-fighting white blood cells that play a key role in the body's immune system. Lymphoma is a form of cancer that affects the lymphocytes. The primary difference between Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphoma is the type of lymphocyte that is affected. Hodgkin's lymphoma is marked by the presence of Reed-Sternberg lymphocytes, which a physician can identify using a microscope. In non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, these cells are not present. And that's about as clear as mud, but it's the best we can do. Now, here to tell us his amazing story of dealing with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma is Scott Menzies, who joins us from Scotland. Good of you to do this, Scott, considering you just got out of the hospital a few days ago. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to speak to you. It's nice to get, get on eventually and tell my story. Now, you mentioned in the notes you sent us that you had some back issues in October of last year. Take us through this and tell us how that led to your diagnosis. Uh, so basically, back in October 2021, uh, I had a, a bad back, um, just uh, usually from occupation, what sort of type um, related injury. And this pain was there for quite some time. Uh, I'm not one for taking paracetamol if I've got a sore head, and I'm not one for you know taking any sort of pain medication if I'm in a lot of pain. And so I dealt with the pain, you know, just naturally. I got a new bed, hoping that it was the mattress that was causing me the issues. Um, but then eventually I went to the doctors in January and spoke to the nurse. But with the COVID situation, you know, you don't actually get seen by a doctor over there. So the nurse just gave me some tablets to go away with, um, some naproxen uh, and things like that just to sort of manage the pain. Uh, and after that, I just continued to manage that pain. Uh, leading up to going in January, I think it was, I went back to the doctors and 
ended up going back with a few lumps on my neck and some fever and night sweats. So you went back to the doctor in January and you had uh, lumps on the back of your neck. What was the diagnosis at that time? Uh, the diagnosis at that time was actually uh, pneumonia. Um, and I also got asked to go for a COVID test, which I did willingly. Um, all come back negative. And yeah, the, the diagnosis was at the time pneumonia with antibiotics um, sent away. Uh, for a couple of weeks and I uh, got some x-rays on that first week when I was at the doctor's so a chest x-ray I got some bloods done um, and I got uh, a phone call from the doctor that same week uh, claiming to be cancerous um, or what he had seen in the x-ray was cancerous um, and the other doctor you know went against that he said he wouldn't have said that uh, so then it continued on with the antibiotics they cleared up um, and just sort of led on for there uh, went for CT scans and in February, and I also went for another um, lung specialist appointment, uh, and they then at that appointment said it could be cancerous as well. It's interesting that you went for a test, and the doctor said that it was pneumonia. Another doctor says you have cancer or HIV. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And but the other doctor says no, you've just got pneumonia. Yeah, so it was kind of two-sided opinions on what what was wrong with me at the time, which was quite worrying. Because <laughs> you know, if they don't know, then I don't know. <laughs> That's right, Scott. So, what did they say about the lumps on the back of your neck? I mean, I haven't heard lumpy neck as a symptom of pneumonia. Yeah, you know me either. So basically, they were claiming the lumps on the neck to be, you know, infection. And um, so my high blood cell count was really high. Uh, my white blood cell count was really high. Sorry. Um, that was what they were claiming to be was the, the, the problem. You know, there was some sort of infection within the body. Did you have a gut feeling that something was really amiss or not really? Um, it's hard to say. I certainly after um, I started to feel better after the antibiotics and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to work. Things like that were starting to, you know, get, get back to the string of things after being off for a few weeks. And then when I kind of started to come off the antibiotics and they weren't in my system anymore, I started to get worse and started to get more ill than I already had been. Um, so it was quite worrying at the time. And I did have a gut feeling that there was something wrong that wasn't right. But it's hard to say when you've got all these thoughts in your mind of what it could be and what not be. Yeah. When were you diagnosed with stage four? Uh, I was diagnosed with the stage four on the 18th of March. Um would have been so after I went for my specialist lung appointment, I was uh, went for my ultrasound biopsy as well. And after the biopsy, the results come in was stage four um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. What did they tell you about your life expectancy? They never actually elaborated too much on that. <laughs> um, they never went into uh, sort of detail about the, you know, but um, they, they did go and tell me, you know, how long it, roughly treatment was going to last and, you know, what, six months I was looking at um, for the treatment that I was going to, going to go under. No, that was conventional treatment? Uh, that, yeah, that was chemo, yeah, chemotherapy. Chemotherapy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into that, did you undergo chemotherapy at all? Yeah, I did, yeah. But just a small, well, I did my full amount that they were wanting me to do eventually after a while, um, but it wasn't. That, that got me to the result that I was, I'll tell you about, obviously. 
So on the 18th of March, you were diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you heard that? Oh, all sorts. Um, just how does that sound to me and what does this mean? Uh, all these kind of thoughts that you, you know, you're worried about. And, um, I didn't really know what was what I was about to go through. Um, all I could say as an, ex- as an experience. Um, everything that I've sort of been through in the last uh, couple of months, certainly been such a short space of time as well. So everyone's been kind of overwhelming. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's hard to explain. Or, or mixed emotions, certainly through the diagnosis and, and, and leading up to the diagnosis. Scott, do you have a family? Yeah, I still stay with my mum, so my mum and dad, um, and my wee brother as well. So. Okay. And how how old are you, by the way? Uh, I'm 29. 29. So, yeah, so, yeah. So you're, tw- you're 29, and you have stage four. How did your family uh, react to all this? Yeah, well, my mum, she was uh, pretty, pretty distraught. She was very upset, as you could imagine. And I think my dad, he's a typical male. Uh, not letting on his emotions and how he feels. <laughs> yeah. So he would he he would have been feeling it as well, but I think he was yeah, but for me. But my wee brother certainly as well, he was the same. Me and him are two different people, so we don't speak a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um but he did feel the diagnosis and um, so kinda of brought everybody closer together um, in a way. Scott, when you got the diagnosis, did you immediately start changing anything in your life? Yep. Um, so straight away, um, I was I changed my diet right away. Um, I actually found out that going part vegan is supposed to be better as, rather than full vegan. Um, so I did a bit of both. I like my meat, so um, I struggled without it. But certainly smoothies and stuff like that, uh, you know, all these uh, anti-cancerogenic property fruits and vegetables. Um, sort of went organic to start off with as well. Um, so just rather than buying from the supermarket, mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the big thing that I changed the most. My diet was, um, I know I've heard of previous podcasts with you guys, um, a lot of guys drinking a lot of soda, as you call it, or fizzy mm-hmm. drinks. Uh, I used to drink a lot of them, four a day. Um, I would be the kind of guy who would wake up for a, for a brew or a cup of tea um, and a packet of biscuits from my, before I would set off to go to work. Uh, so that certainly cutting out a lot of sugars and certainly a lot of processed Food as well that I was eating, uh, certainly frozen food, um, you know, chicken nuggets, kind of freezer stuff, chips as well. Uh, so I changed all that kind of in my diet. Good for yeah. you. Yeah, that's yeah. Th- that's great. You're the third uh, person in a row we've interviewed, Corey, who's changed their diet dramatically. The last podcast we did, uh, the woman in Newfoundland lost uh, between 50 and 55 pounds. And she was doing exactly the same thing that you're doing, Scott, just cleaning up her diet. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've always knew that it was a big part, and that actually was staring me right in the face this time to change it. So I didn't have much of an option. Um, and I always say that somebody else can't help you if you can't help yourself. How did your friends react? Friends were in a lot of shock. Um, certainly, you know, at my age group, um, I think they were, you know, you know, like you say, I just really shocked. Um, but everybody was great, you know, everybody come up to see me, supported me, tell me I've got to send me messages every day and just communicating like we would need for normal because everybody's now older, everybody's settling down, families and kids mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. Um, so nobody keep, keeps in touch as much, but everybody was great and came up, supported me, messaged me when I was going through treatment, good luck and all these kind of things and stuff like that. So. 
tell us how you started on uh, cannabis oil. Uh, so the cannabis oil came in, my knowledge. I've always been a recreational smoker or user anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually a family friend. He taught me when I was younger uh, the golf and mm-hmm. basically cured himself from terminal, uh, no treatment, and just took cannabis oil. And I always was amazed at his story. Um, and that always led me on to believe if I ever, I always said that if I ever ended up in a situation like this, there's no question that I would use that um, to my advantage. And so believe it or not, I just kind of jumped on it straight away and just pretty much t- started taking it away as soon as I found out. How, how were you taking it? Uh, so I was taking it orally and I was taking to start off with trying to follow the recommended dosage. <laughs> Sometimes the, the, the dosage would slip up a wee bit unexpectedly, which I knew there was no harm in that for me. Uh, so I just basically kind of took it as as much as I could um, when I could. Um, but it was almost up to a gram a day within the first few days. Wow. Uh, <laughs> He's hardcore. <laughs> That's what we do in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> what was your family, your immediate family, like your mum and dad? Your brother, your, their response to you doing cannabis oil, were they supportive of that or were they kind of looking at you and going, hmm? Well, the story of me, how I found out about the, the, the cannabis oil um, was actually my old man's friend, or my dad's friend. Um, so, you know, he knew about his story. So my my dad didn't comment on it too much. Um, and my mum is all for it now. So she is just happy enough to see me on the other side. And, and, and it helped me, and, and if it helps, then she says, so be it. And he's, he's, he's never really mentioned it too much, but sometimes uh, to start off with, but I was really ill at the time anyway. I was in a lot of pain and stuff like that, especially to, from my back pain. Um, leading up to my treatment, I was my spine um, was really, really sore as well, um, and my back. Um, so that kind of took away all that sort of pain, um, and they seen that, so... Were you taking this all orally? Yeah, everything was orally, yeah. I would put a wee bit of oil on a strawberry or a grape um, and just <laughs> consume it like that or sometimes just underneath the tongue. Like royalty? Yeah, like royalty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was this, was this uh, oil made from more than one strain? You know? uh, it's hard to say, but yeah, I'd probably imagine so, yeah. Yeah, we probably made them more than one strain over the, the, the course that I took my oil over. Right. Now, being illegal in Scotland, is was it difficult to obtain, difficult to find? Um, you don't, yeah, mention, really. don't mention any names. No names, no names. I wouldn't put my mate on blast like that, no chance, but no. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, nah, um, nah, everything was, uh, was easy enough. Uh, quite accessible now, and um, I'd imagine more so than it was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely easy enough to get. Scott, have you ever thought of doing suppositories? I mean, Corey can tell listeners the benefits of using suppositories as opposed to orally. So, ninety percent of cases, people who do suppositories don't get high. I think it's a lot higher than ninety percent. I've spoken to thousands upon thousands of people. I've only ever talked to one person who got high that way. The key to suppositories is an inch in, inch and a half max, no further. Otherwise, you will get high. But also, something that we've just learned in the last year and a half or so is the concentration of cannabinoids given rectally versus orally is 100 times stronger for THC, 250 times stronger for CBD, but no high. 
There you go, Scott. Yeah, seems yeah, good. Yeah. And <laughs> Corey was has mentioned on previous podcasts that people with lung cancer who use suppositories do extremely well. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, given your condition, if you don't want to get high, I mean, you're 29, you probably always want to do get high. But if you don't want to get high, just do suppositories and it has a much more beneficial effect on you. Yeah, yeah. I heard the your previous guy's podcast uh, before I mentioned suppositories as well. And, and the, the guy that actually led me on to using RSO was his it was actually throat cancer and spread into the lungs. Mm. And he cured himself from terminal, but he was just, you know, capsules rather than suppositories. Yeah. The interesting thing, too, is I wonder, particularly with Hodgkin's and non Hodgkin's, whether this uh, would up the chances. Because when you're doing it rectally, it is not absorbed via the blood vessels. It's actually absorbed via the fluid of the lymph nodes. That's how it gets into the system. Yeah, I had that on uh, one of your podcasts, um, speaking of suppositories before, and I always wondered, that clicked in my mind, because um, I've been doing a lot of research into this as well, and, and listening to a lot of your previous uh, shows. Um, I actually believe it or not, before I actually went under any treatment, when I was just diagnosed, um, I listened to a few previous podcasts um, of yourselves with a few guys with classic Hodgkin's lymphoma as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just took a wee bit away from the podcasts and it really helped me throughout this journey. Many years ago, we interviewed a woman in Glasgow, Lynn Cameron, who had brain cancer. And she today is still cancer-free because of the use of cannabis oil. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I always like to ask people this during an interview, is that when you went back to your doctor and got tested again, were you all clear? Yeah, so after I started chemotherapy on the 6th of April, um, it was only one and a half cycles. Um, I ended up in the hospital after my first cycle um, with sepsis, and then they reduced my treatment. And the second one, but when I done the second one, it was after that I got my next scan, and then when I went back then, everything was all clear. Um, but for me, it was amazing at the you know time scale. It was only twenty nine days from a stage four, you know, the oil that's that's managed to. What was your doctor's response? Um, so I still can't see any of my scans, but that might come around to eventually. But I have requested six times. Um, but I actually got a negative phone call, so I never got to sit down in a room with my doctor. And he actually told me over the phone, so I didn't get a chance to see the response face to face. It was a few weeks later that I ended up uh, going to my specialist nurse and sitting down. And I think they were even pretty amazed. There was some frosty in the room that day, um, but I still can't put my finger on what it was. <laughs> So there you go. Your your lucky number is 29 because you're 29 years old. It was 29 days that you used cannabis oil and you yep. went from stage four to no evidence of disease. Yep. Fantastic. That yeah. is really fantastic. But your doctor won't show you the the scan results. Won't show me the scan results. I mean, I'm just basically looking for, you know, a peace of mind thing. So, you know, you see it there and you see it gone. And I, that was basically why I wanted to see the scan results. Um, that they won't show me them for some reason. I'm not saying that it's fishy, but I, I just feel as though there's something that's maybe not. Did they know that you were using cannabis oil as well? Yep. So basically from the start, I just then um, told them straight away, 
because uh, you know my family friend story. Me and him share the same story now. So we were up here having a barbecue not that long ago, and you know we're both celebrating the victory. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they, I told them straight away from the get go. They never ever told me no, um, and they never told me yes. So obviously I can't I understand it. We can't say yes or no. We have to do our job. But uh, you know the, the, the indication of not you know um, saying no to me was enough. Yeah, you put them in an awkward position, I think. They don't want to admit that <laughs> that what you did worked. That's it. That's it. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, a legal medical cannabis patient in the UK now. Oh, um, are you? What does yeah. that mean? So uh, they have um, a variety of medicines, basically, um, to help it um, with stuff. So they, they gave me CBD oil and they gave me sativa uh, oil as well. Um, but I've just started to, you know, use that. But it just obviously, you know, gives me the freedom, um, you know, being able to use, you know, the medicines that they provide um, in Scotland without any, you know, hassle. <laughs> yeah. Scott, are you doing a maintenance dose? Well, that is definitely going to be the plan. I've, I've had a couple of days where I haven't had any where we've been in the hospital. Um, but I'll, I will be taking a maintenance dose for the rest of my days. Please don't make that mistake of not doing that. Not doing. I always kick myself and make a mistake for going for the, the, the treatment, but um, you always don't want to put your eggs in one basket. So, Yeah, there's nothing wrong uh, with that. I mean, Corey has told people that the choice is yours to make, whether you want to do conventional treatment or not. The medical profession puts you in a very, very scary position saying that you know, you've got stage four cancer. We don't know how long you've got to live. And the, the last interview we did, the, the oncologist told this woman in Newfoundland that there's no hope for you. There's, no, there's hope. no hope for you. Eat what you want. You're depriving yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> you got to ask yourself. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's definitely like this. That's such an experience. That's all I keep saying, you know, to everybody. It's, 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 uh, it's definitely an experience. Yeah, it's hard to explain. So do you have contact with others who have Hodgkin's lymphoma or non-Hodgkin's or, or cancer at all? Yeah, so a lot of people have actually been coming to me and asking me um, what I did. Um, certainly, you know, I had a friend, um, one of his workmates, who was uh, asking me what I did outside the treatment. I gave him the recommendations for all the diet type of stuff. Um, obviously, I explained the oil situation as well. Um, I thought... He's one, he's the same sort of disease as me, um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then there's a lot of other people coming back or coming to me now uh, through friends and through family friends and through my girlfriend's uh, family as well, and the secondary cancers and asking them you know, about the oil and, and, and what they can do to you know, help themselves, because everybody's amazed at my situation, how I, you know, quick mm-hmm. I go over it. Uh, certainly even in the hospital, they've been talking about me in the staff room and how, how quickly so you know. So these people are now asking me for you know the help, which I'm happy enough to do, and um, push them in the right direction. But there's a lot of stigma around about you know cannabis and cannabis oil in Scotland, but being illegal, yeah, an older generation mentality, um, certainly the most people to do it. But you you know you're trying to give them the you know the best advice that's going to help them in their situation as well. Mm-hmm. So is your is your girlfriend uh, happy that you made it? <laughs> Yeah, no. definitely. Well, maybe not, maybe not. 
I had to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. She'll be listening, and uh, and she'll be laughing like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're on. Uh, I think you're on the right track. You've cleaned up your diet. So you're on cannabis oil. We've got to get you on suppositories, and just to make sure everything works. What are you laughing at, Corey? <laughs> I's not saying a word. <laughs> okay, that's it. Scott, what uh, what would you like to say in conclusion? You know, if you ever find yourself in a situation like me, just obviously do whatever you can to, to, to help yourself because, you know, nobody else is going to really help you know, anybody by yourself, you know, yourself, <laughs> basically. Yeah, um, you've got to help yourself. That's it, that's it. Because nobody else can help you. You're definitely a cannabis oil. <laughs> right Scott good of you to do this considering you just got out of the hospital a few days ago we greatly appreciate it thank you very much yeah. thanks for having me on guys much appreciated thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio for more information and to search previous podcasts visit our website CannabisHealthRadio.com subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.